welcome to Roll With Adventure, a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition podcast that transports you through the magic of imagination, from our world to the far-off world of Ibris, a land full of heroes and villains, the evil and the divine, monsters and miracles, and, of course, magic. We are delighted to bring you this adventure from our imagination to your ears. If you like what you hear, please subscribe for future episodes and follow us on social media. If you want to learn more about us and this podcast, please visit us at rollwithadventure.com. And now, let's listen as our heroes roll with adventure. Hello and welcome to Roll with Adventure. This session's campaign is of salt and blood. My name is Cass, and I am the dungeon master for this ragtag band of heroes. Today, our journey into this tale of adventure, intrigue, secrets, and magic across the world of Ibris continues. This session begins on the 11th of Altor, in the year 1069 PR, as Marcus speaks to the warden and our heroes count down the days till the Dauntless departs. Now, before we dive right in, let's meet our band of heroes. To decide the order of introduction, let's roll player initiative, not character. And remember here, we roll with adventure. So, what intelligent delight or mind-numbing tale have you to share with us tonight? Well, yesterday I referred to my feet as my tootsies, which I think is a fairly common thing. You can all jump in and correct me if you've never heard of that before. But my husband was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, feet. And he was like, well, what about tootsie rolls? And I was like, ew, I've never thought about that before. So I, I looked up tootsie rolls and apparently they were invented by this guy who named them after his daughter, whose nickname was Tootsie. But the thing that I really want to share that I found really interesting was that this guy committed suicide and the the company was not doing well afterwards and they had a contract with a company that made boxes for their suites and the company that made the boxes was like uh-oh i'm kind of worried that our like number one client that we make boxes for is gonna go under and then we won't be making boxes for them anymore so the owner of the box company went around all the shareholders, bought up shares, got himself to be the, I think, the president of the company, all because he wanted to keep making boxes, not because he was super keen on the candy or anything. But he did a really amazing job, totally turned things around. I think he bought it in like 1935 and by, was it by 1948 or something like that, he had increased the sales by... 12 times or something it was it was crazy anyway I, I just really loved the idea that this guy was like but i must keep making more boxes i can't let this company go under and so we have tootsie rolls today i think they've been around since something like 1907 all because some guy wanted to keep making boxes so there you go there there's my fact and i i'm gonna take a plus two because i thought that was random and really interesting so my little fun slash scary thought fact uh depends on how everyone wants to feed on as I learned from TikTok, because uh, I follow a lot of weird TikToks. I don't follow all these funny ones. I follow these, like, science ones and, you know, astro astronomers, physicists, sometimes biologists, but mostly astronomers or physicists. So I learned today that there's a planet about 300 light years away 
called Kepler-1649C. Uh, the reason it's so important is in 2020 it was labeled as the most inhabitable planet uh, that we can see so far. And it's interesting facts is that it is only 6% bigger than Earth, uh, orbits a red dwarf in its habitable zone, and has an orbit of 19.5 days. So you have a birthday almost every month. And I'll take a plus one because I always find that stuff interesting, but I know a lot of people are just kind of like, eh, space stuff. Well, I guess I'll go. I'm also also kind of on board with the space stuff. I think it's really interesting, but a lot of it goes over my head. I feel like I'm not quite smart enough to get all of it. That is where space is. Well, you're right. You're right. I just, you know, yep, that's true. I mean, it's kind of just generally all around us because we're kind of like surrounded, but... I was going to say, it's under our feet, too. And beside us. Taking over. We're floating in the void. It is everywhere. H.P. Lovecraft is right. <laughs> So today was the first day that it was pretty cold, like consistently all day. It was like only about freezing all day. Um, and so I was curious about what the coldest it's ever been here on Earth. And the coldest recorded temperature ever was in Antarctica, which makes sense. And it was negative 89 degrees Celsius which is negative 128 degrees Fahrenheit, which is really cold. But I was not quite satisfied because that's Antarctica and, like, nobody really lives there. Like, they're scientists, but, like, they don't really count, you know? Like, they do, but nobody volunteer. I mean, I guess they probably literally volunteer to go, but anyway, but no, they don't live there, like, their whole lives. So then I was curious about, like, the most, the coldest regularly habited part of Earth and there's a town in Russia where the average temperature in January is negative 58 degrees Fahrenheit, which is negative 50 degrees Celsius, which sounds awful. I think I hate the cold, so I think I would just die. Frankly, that sounds uninhabitable. I don't know how those people do it. I agree. I also don't know how they do it. But anyway, if you really like the cold, there's a place in Russia that you would probably really like. I'm going to take a plus one for that because I think it's interesting and, yeah, I don't know. I learned about Ruby Roman Grapes this week. If you haven't heard, Ruby Roman Grapes are most commonly found in Japan, where bushels that are of quality can sell upwards of $500. These Ruby Roman Grapes are the size of ping pong balls. Which, when you think about it, are quite large for grapes. And the larger and the more in the color range each of the uh, grapes are, the more expensive they become. So, if anyone wants to send us fan mail in the form of Ruby Roman grapes, it would be welcomed. Because I would like to try them. And that is my fact. And I will be taking a plus one. Because while fun and joyous... Not really helpful. That's some big grapes. So my sup had begged me and my wife, Amanda, for an elf on the shelf. I searched four stores, cut someone off to grab one. It was nuts. He was so happy, though. So it was definitely worth making that angry lady at me. But did you know the elf on the shelf started in 2005? It was a mother and her daughter who self-published the book. The Elf on the Shelf, A Christmas Tradition. 
It comes with a special box with a small elf inside, and it was quite popular and even achieved much more fame and notoriety in 2020. And as of today, over 13 million elf on the shelves have been sold. And by the way, they're a solid $30 a piece if you buy the book and elf to combo. Do the math on that. I'm going to take a plus one and priceless seeing my son's reaction. Let's see what you all roll. I got a 15. 14. I also got a 15. 14 plus one. Oh, I'm also plus one. I rolled a natural one. And that brings me to a two. Guess what? I also rolled a natural one. That brings me to a two. <laughs> Whoa. It's like the fourth time this has happened with us, maybe. My great nemesis. First, can I have a roll-off between Corey and Emmy? I got a 10. 16. And then a roll-off between Disco and Carlos. 5. Uh, it's a 2. 1 plus 1. Let's not get in any fights today. I'm putting this dice away. Hello, my name's Corey, and I play Kalina Floros, who is a human fighter that was an ex-soldier in the Talran army. Hello, I'm Emmy. I'm playing Sylvie Antaeus. She's a half-elf monk, and she's really excited about her new quest. Hi, I'm Allie, and I'm playing Maya Volta, a human cleric of Cain. And Maya is also excited about her new quest, although I don't think she really knows quite what it all means. Still, it's a good day to be alive. It's Disco, like the dancing and also the person. And I play Alice, the radiant Genasi druid of the Half Moon Circle, who is a walking, talking magic mirror, who is very ready to help his friends in their quest with ridiculous things. Yeah, showtime. Hello, world. This is Carlos, and I play Marcus Evander, a scout in the Tolerant Army, who loves everything uh, pink. Why not? Now that everyone has introduced themselves, let's get this adventure rolling. And remember, here, we roll with adventure. Our session begins where we last left Marcus. As you push the door open, you are presented with a view of Walltown's Bay. In the distance, the ruins of the promontory. And upon it rises the blazing sea guide. The Crystalm Sea unfolds before you, endlessly out those windows. Large doors on the far side of the room. They open out onto a terraced balcony. As the view briefly takes your breath away, you're reminded that this place is beautiful. As you draw your sight back into the room you've entered, you note that the walls are lined with bookcases, upon which there are a copious number of books and various objects. Some trophies likely of the Warden's military conquests, but others look to be of an older, archaic nature. Marcus Evander. The Warden's voice draws you towards a large desk at the far end of the room. She sits looking over various pieces of paperwork and gestures toward a chair that has been placed ten feet from the desk. Do you sit? 
Marcus sits. To what do I owe the pleasure of your company? Her emerald eyes flick up from the paperwork as her quill scratches across it. My time is finite. Be quick about it. Of course. I know you're busy. Ma'am, I understand this is a big time for you. You're about to uh, commission one of the biggest, uh, if not the biggest, expeditions in modern memory. At least from what I know. Is that correct? Over the next year, it will be a monumental step forward for Tal Ren. I would ensure that nothing goes wrong with it. I have a request. I realize I'm just one prisoner. And you do a good job running the ship well here, so to speak. But I have a favor, a request of you, ma'am. A request? And what would one like you request? Well, I would like Maya to come on the ship with us. She continues to write, but you see her eyebrow raise as if she's waiting for you to continue. It is pretty uh, evident that you know what you're doing, and... I don't need to tell you twice or how to do things, but my being on that ship is important to me. Important to my family here. I think it's a small thing. You should also replace Vanessa with Maya. Vanessa can stay here in place of Maya. Maya will be more useful to the trip in whole. Interesting. And why do you think that Maya is staying and Vanessa is going. I'm sorry, can you say that again? I was distracted by the view. Let me put this in simpler terms, then. Why should I do this? Hmm. That's a good question. I understand that you're smart. You're a smart woman. And uh, I know this is a big thing for you, this trip. It's going to cement a lot of standing for you. I'm a simple countryman, but even I know a power play when I see one. Now, if I were you and I had your position and wanted to ensure it, especially on a trip such as this, I'd have people in my employ, whether I bought them with gold or maybe a soldier who's sworn the oath of the army. But the reality is gold's only good if you have it. And if you give before the trip, going to a new land, that's a... Uh, no guarantee they'll be back. Might run town run. And an oath is only as good if the one you swore to is around. Nothing's to say that anyone going across that uh that way is gonna come back. What I'm proposing is simple. You do me this favor. I'll keep tabs on all that's going on when we go over. I'll watch report if you give me a vessel to do so or whatever have you with magical devices and best of all I'll make sure your interests are kept well 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 Mr. Evander 
She leans back in contemplation. And then she leans forward. Yes, I think I can see that you will have your uses. Uses I can already foresee. I do require eyes and ears on Atsakan. Someone to report to me the state of the new colony and such. And you say that you can do that for me? I could. And to even sweeten the deal for you. Marcus will open and pull out the ring. I made a pretty good case that uh, anyone crosses over, why would they even uh, do what you say? They can just escape, never be found. This is my wedding ring. I love my wife to this day. And it's something important to me. And he'll hand or put out the ring. As you place the ring down on the desk, she puts her hand out on yours and looks up at you. And she opens a, a drawer. She pulls out a small box. She looks up at you. How well do you know the history of our great nation, Marcus? I'm a simple country farmer. I don't know much about history. I'm sorry. She opens the box, and you see inside it two emerald earrings and an armband of delicately carved white gold. It's also inset with a small emerald. Oh, that is a shame. There have been many brilliant minds over the years. Philosophers, tacticians, generals, rulers. You see, over 300 years ago, before the Grand Republic had formed, Talren was divided into three kingdoms. Halis, Ventor, and Neartide. Ventor and Neartide were eventually joined in marriage, but Halis, a smaller kingdom, it remained a power. Halis was known for its cunningness, which some say led to it becoming the seat of the Senate after the unification. She places emphasis on the word cunningness as she draws a small pin from her hair and pricks her left index finger, letting a drop of blood fall onto the armband and work into its delicate grooves. Give me your hand. Marcus reaches out his hand. You see, these earrings and this armband belonged to once a powerful and noble woman of Halas. She was beloved by many, and also hated. She reaches out the pin and pricks your index finger, one drop falling upon the armband, before she draws forth two more drops, one that fall onto each earring. What hand did you reach out? Is it your left or your right? The left. She created armbands with matching sets of earrings that would allow her to speak. With her informants over great distances, much to the benefit of Halas, such as these ones. 
as you pull your hand back as the last drop of blood falls, the armband jumps from the table onto the upper portion of your left bicep. If you quickly run your hand around it, there is no clasp or space to remove it. It is firmly affixed to your arm. She calmly inserts the earrings into her ears as she looks up to you. And then her voice... Her lips don't move, but you hear it. I will expect a report each week at dusk on Murgistan. I will ensure that Maya is on the ship, and Miss Vanessa Hellingsford, she can remain here, yes, as payment, of course, for your services to be soon rendered. I expect that you will keep a close watch on everyone for me. Do not disappoint me, Marcus. She smiles. Oh, you also may find you can't speak of our agreement. A little side of it. Of the magic. She raises a small bell from her desk and rings it. The doors open. As you stand there, guards come in. And they usher you out. The last thing you saw as you left was the warden's face. She smiled. The emerald earrings that match your armband glittering on her ears. And you cannot help but worry. Did she get the better part of the deal? Now let us continue this session. As two young men walk a young lady towards the main square and her place of work. Petros Floros, no relation to Kalina Floros, a local blacksmith of non-Talren descent, and Silas Michalakos, a local carpenter, both accompany Miss Maya Volta. Petros remains mostly quiet throughout the brief two-minute walk, while Silas cajoles you with jokes and light-hearted banter. As you close with the blue general store, both of the men move to open the door for you, bumping into each other before Petros opens the door with a jerk, just wide enough for you to walk in. As you enter the store, you see both Nicostratus and Ambrose quite busy, but they've certainly noticed. Nicostratus clears his throat as he addresses both Silas and Petros. Oh. Are you both here for something? Or have the streets become so dangerous that my clerk needs bodyguards? Both are taken aback slightly, and Petros clearly reddens with embarrassment before he grabs a nearby item and walks up to Ambrose to purchase it. As Petros heads to the counter, Silas pauses. I'll come back around dusk. We can walk down by the water, or I can walk you back to your place if you like. I'm looking forward to it. Silas smiles and he departs, before Petros, now holding his recently purchased object, comes up to you. I hope that we can go for a walk sometime soon. 
I would greatly appreciate that before he leaves without actually waiting for your answer. Maya looks a little, <laughs> a little startled, but then is like, oh, uh, yeah, that's that's par for the course. But then also, why does he want to go for a walk with me if he never wants to talk to me? He's so weird. As you're thinking that, Ambrose pulled out an apron and he hands it to you. And as he does, he sort of leans down and goes, I want all the details. What's going on there? You have to tell me, Maya. What? What's going on there? Really? Are you blind? No. He rolls his eyes and laughs, walking deeper back into the store, perhaps to go do some inventory. You now have an apron in hand and can begin your shift. Put my apron on and get ready to start my work day. Ryan takes a deep breath, tries to push all thought of Sylvie and Marcus from her mind and is likely very unsuccessful. You know, she walks past the assortment of tea. Thanks of Sylvie. Just does every little thing is like, oh. What items remind you of Marcus? You know what? I don't know. I'm trying to think. A blanket or rug? Oh my gosh. Yes, nostalgically. Oh, remember that time he was almost killed by a blanket? Gosh, I don't know. Like, in real life, Marcus is a hunter, right? This is true. I don't know what, like, would, do we have an assortment of, of hunting knives? Maybe that? You could also do, like, skins and, like, animal, animal furs and stuff like that that he brings in, I think, all the time, right? Marcus likes flowers. You probably also have the accoutrements required for, say, trapping. <laughs> the things that you'd need to be able to go out on a bit of a longer journey or a hunting trip. Lots of things like that. There's also blankets and rugs done by local weavers, such as uh, Erastos Plutarchos, a close friend of Alice's. Perhaps a hand that is a skeletal hand that grasps things. <laughs> Good times. The best of times. Yeah, I think as Maya goes about her day, just every, every little thing reminds her of Marcus and Sylvie, and she's just constantly going, nope. I'm trying to focus on this thing right now. I don't don't want to think about that. The reason I'm here is to not think about that. She probably eventually gives up trying to do stuff around the store and starts, like, making lists, inventory lists for the... Like, just sitting at the counter thinking of information that will be needed when they hand the general store over to the orphanage. It is while you're making these lists... A few hours later, that the door to the shop opens, and a hush falls throughout it, as a tall, gaunt man in black and green robes enters. A few patrons, ones that weren't even looking in his direction, instinctively move away. But as they begin to notice, as they notice that it is luscious, the store empties to become a ghost town, almost immediately. Nicostratus, he walks up to him to engage him in conversation. There's a slight strain in his voice. Clearly, Nicostratus is trying to sell whatever Lashes is looking for and get him out before he drives every customer away. 
but as Nicostratus goes about helping Lachius, you feel a light brush, a touch against your mind. And then Lachius's voice echoes within it. Make sure you have herbs and ointments for burns on hand. Your friend has been condemned to the furnace. Even though they told the truth, the warden didn't believe them. His telepathic voice is tinged with notes of sadness and concern that you would not think would be there. Mentally, Maya's going to think back, are they okay? I don't think she really expects a response, but it's worth a try. The conversation, the single line that it has been from each of you, it ends as abruptly as it began. Lashus appears to have finished his transaction and leaves with only one last glance back towards you. It's a few moments later that Ambrose leans next to you at the counter. He's a strange fellow. Always gives me the creeps. But he is a regular enough customer. Yeah. You're lucky. He usually only comes in on Rylum. Always to buy a money pouch every few weeks. Ambrose laughs to himself. For someone who most people are scared of, he sure must be clumsy. I can't think of any other reason someone would need a new money pouch that often. Well, maybe his thoughts are so full of everybody else's thoughts that he can't keep track of it. And the rest of your day will pass uneventfully. Sylvie. Heat. Darkness. Pain. Sylvie, you are slowly drawn back to the world of consciousness. You don't know how long you have been in the furnace. And from the chafing around your wrists, it feels like forever, but less than a day. Black stone surrounds you, save for the iron door on the ledge, just out of your reach, and the darkness below and above. As you hang here, you have a great deal of time to think. You can remember each of the three visions in startling clarity. What does Sylvie think about them? How does she feel about reconnecting with Cleo? The divine mission passed down to her by Tananat of the Thirteen Servants. And the strange vision of a lady encased in crystal, a room with ornately carved archways, and the rustle of scales. I think that Sylvie's fairly overwhelmed by all of it, her brain would probably just be bouncing, like, between the different images. But the idea of possibly reconnecting or seeing Cleo again is really exciting. It It's something that brings her a lot of joy. Cleo was a huge part of her life, and she would be so happy to see her friend again. And the prospect of this task that she's been given by Tinanat and sort of Ashen through him 
is exciting. And the prospect of maybe becoming friends with an undead dog is really fun. That just seems, um, like a thing that she would spend a lot of time thinking about. What would you name an undead dog? Could he come with you anywhere? Does he need to eat? I don't know. And I don't think she would spend too much time thinking about the elf. It's hard to think about finding answers to something when you can't really... When it's hard to even quite figure out what you're looking for. Especially when you're chained up in the furnace. So I think she would look back on it, but I don't think that she would spend... I think her thoughts would focus around Cleo and the things she learned from Tananat. And we'll leave Sylvie with those thoughts as they roll around in her head like marbles, each with their own crystal clear image, bouncing off each other, revealing different angles. And we'll rush back out, this time to Kalina. You push open the door of the familiar hatchet, and are greeted by the sight of the tavern fight ring in a much quieter atmosphere than the last time you were here. A few local minstrels practice their craft in the corner, while a few people sit around tables. Up in the ring, two fighters look like they're wrapping up a practice round. Your gaze, it sweeps over the whole establishment, from its closed bedding windows to its grimy bar to the fighting ring in the middle, to the stairs that lead up to the private balcony, to even the rushes that an employee is in the process of replacing. The familiar scents of sweat, sour ale, and blood. They're still as strong, mingling with the dust and fresh rushes. You notice four prison guards lounging at a nearby table. While at another table, you see familiar faces and forms. Juliana Vivanias, also known as Sylvie's friend Jules, sits as fearsome as ever. You know that she hails from northern Telren, near the border of Amaranth, as noted by the straightness of her hair and the slight lightness of her scar-covered skin. And you know for a fact that she is a vicious competitor in the fight ring, even though she's missing her left hand. She fights as well, if not better, than some who have both. You personally have never had the pleasure of sparring with her. She was always in the scourge ring when you were in the lower. But you've seen her spar with Sylvie before. Across from her, with his head on his arms... Snoring away is Hector Evandris, the stocky-built, muscle-bound opponent that you fought in the last round to win your hard-earned spot in the coming season's Scourge Ring. A dream, though, unfortunately dashed by the arrival of the Dauntless and the Atsakanian Lottery. Cleo will walk up to Jules and be like, Afternoon, how's you been? How's it going? You can see that she's already drinking. There's a bucket. It's filled with ale. Looks like Hector's had a few. She's got a half-filled pint. She looks up at you and goes, Could be better. Could be. 
How about yourself? Same. Might have I join you for a drink or two? She gestures with her arms wide open across the whole table. And as you sit down, you hear a snatch of conversation from behind you. You did well, Katrin. If you weren't heading off on the ship, I'd be looking forward to fighting you in the Scourge Ring this coming season. A masculine voice says from behind you. As you crane your neck to look back, you see the two behind you. The two that were fighting. You recognize them as Katrin Joska, a close friend of Maya's, and the wife of Erastos Plutarchos, one of Alice's friends. Katrin is a stocky woman with many tattoos scrawled across her skin. You have heard that she was the daughter of a sailor and that she grew up with only brothers, so she's been fighting from a young age in a pinch. And next to her is, surprisingly, Castor Nestor, the Warden's current champion for the Scourge Ring, which, now that you think about it, explains the presence of the guards being here. Castor is of medium build, with tight cords of muscle clearly visible, though his red hair is a sight that can catch you off guard. Most people from Tal Ren only have black or brown hair, and it is at odds against his olive-toned skin. The only fight you lost in the qualifiers for the Scourge Ring was against him. As you've taken your seat and as they close towards the table, he sees you. And his face breaks out in a smile. Oh, Miss Floros! <laughs> I see that you've already joined the table. Hope you don't mind if I join before the guards have to take me back. It's the only time I can get a pint here. I mean, it's not like I'm going to be able to fight you in the ring this year. Castor and Katrin sit down, joining you, and he dips a cup into the bucket of ale on the table, and he offers it to you before he dips a cup in and grabs his own. It's a real shame that you're on the boat out going out of here. Our fight ended too quickly, and I liked your style. Maybe it's better for you. You might actually get to keep the title next year. I only have one year to go. One year to go, and then I'll be in colonist quick. But <laughs> if I lose, got two years. So I'll be fighting with all I've got. It goes by faster than you think. You have any plans when you get out? Back before I was a fighter here, I actually was a woodworker. So hopefully I can help with uh, construction of houses, maybe, or... Just take up carpentry. Sure, they'll need repairs for boats. I'll always use boxes and barrels. I'm sure you could find some people around here to get you some furniture, too. Especially with they, them breaking it around this place all the time. He laughs. How you think you guys are going to do? You have any plans over there? Survive. Who knows what's going to happen over there? Sending a bunch of colonists who've never seen war and a bunch of failed soldiers. I don't know. Maybe we'll actually get some actual soldiers. I heard they rotated some in from the Oscorly front recently. That I've heard too. It's quite a few new faces up in the prison. Don't know if it bodes good or ill. But we'll be rooting for you. You're a fighter. And I'm sure your friends are too. Yeah, especially Sylvie. Still can't beat her. What are we doing against you, Jules, in the Scourge Ring? I see you two sparring all the time. Jules downs her mug of ale before she dips it in and draws out another full one and 
guzzles at least half of that. I'm gonna miss her. I'm gonna miss her. Fighting against you? Well, uh, I think that there would have been a... It would have been fun. Uh, definitely would have. I'm gonna miss this place. You know, Jules, she points at you. Where did you go? I wanted to spar with Sylvie, and I couldn't find you or her or anyone in your house. You guys were gone. Someone, there were rumors going about that you ran off to go hunt the, the killer? <laughs> I guess that's one interpretation. We were uh, on the other side of the bridge that collapsed. Hunting something. Were you hunting a creature? Did it come out of the mist wall? This one kind of came out of the ocean. Real boring, really. Ah. Huh. Katrin, she's gotten herself a drink as well. She pipes up. Oh. Well, I'm glad that you're back and safe. I know that my husband was also looking for Alice. Speaking of you guys going, have you made any preparations? I know that Maya's staying, so you're leaving the house to her, but you're making any other preparations? Guys have a lot of lot of things. Erastos and I, we, we traded quite a few things uh, for some boots, cloaks, various tools, things that would be more portable for him to be able to keep up his trade and it's not like we'll be coming back here and you won't be. Sure, you guys won't be coming back here. Nah, eh, we haven't really had time yet. Granted, we still have to give the warden her due, so everyone's got to contribute. I don't really need much. I can't really take what I want. They won't let us have a sword or around in this area. I'm sure I could use it better than most of these soldiers around here. And she'll take a gigantic swig and... Slam it down, slam it down, there's like, ah. Here, here. Caster will hold up his mug to new adventures and being better fighters than the ones that are getting paid for it. I'll drink to that and she'll hold it up. To you lucky bastards staying here for the Scourge Ring, give everyone hell. Can you give me a flat d20 as you guys are? crashing your clay mugs together. I got a five. As you crash your clay mugs together, it doesn't break. It's good, but a decent amount sloshes off, sloshes out, and crashes down onto the table and sprays onto Hector Evandris as he's been snoring away. And he starts to grumble, and he slowly pulls himself cracking his shoulders as he does drawing himself up like to be almost as if he's trying to look intimidating and then in perhaps one of the most slurred speeches you have ever heard him say he must be drunk and it's only part way through the day it's not even evening he must be very drunk. The fucking cheap shot. You mark my words. 
I'll get another go at you. And I'll rip you in half. No cheap shots or interruption next time on Atsakan. Big words for someone who's sleeping through the day and can't hold his liquor down. You see him almost tries to lunge across the table at you, but Caster and Jules both grab him and sort of like push him back and you caster's like oh there hector calm down calm down it's too early to this and then you're not you're not all there you're not allowed to fight while you're drunk and he is going to just sweep his arm across the table smacking the pail sending you the ale flying and he's gonna stumble back bumping into furniture as he looks back at you and says, next time, next time I'll break you. And he stumbles out of the familiar hatchet. I'm not gonna drink with a cheap cheating shot like you. Well, that was something. I see you made a friend. If you don't have enemies, you're not doing things correctly. I've been threatened by much worse than Hector. He he just forgets that he did the first cheap shot. And with that, you can continue to drink. Is there anything you want to ask the three that are at the table with you? Or talk with them about? Besides just like small talk of what they've heard and honestly just drinking with them for a while. To kind of blow off some steam, that's about it. Then with that, over the next short while, you'll drink with them. The guards eventually come and tell Caster that his time's up. He needs to be returned to the prison and he'll give you a salute and he'll say, keep fighting, keep fighting and one day, Open your own ring in Atsukan. I'll come and fight in it. Plano smiles like, It's what I'm good at. See you over there. And he'll leave. Katrin, Jules, they drink. They chat with you. You guys eventually devolve into some various drinking songs that are local to your different communities. And you're able to blow off steam before you... Eventually head out and start heading back towards the farmstead. And with that, we'll move briefly back to Sylvie. The door to your cell swings open to reveal the furnace witch. She looks up into your face, her dark eyes glimmering with an almost feverish inner fire. Well, well, well. It took you long enough to wake up. Lashes certainly tried to keep you asleep. Do you respond? No, Sylvie just stares at her. Glares at her. Oh, Sylvie, don't be like that. Why don't we play a little game? She smiles up at you. An unnerving smile. One that highlights the glimmer in her eyes. You've heard of her games. Games to punish. Games to humiliate. Games to break her charges. 
I think we have different definitions of games. Oh, Sylvie. I just have a few questions for you. And there's a reward at the end of it. And she gestures to her water skin, rocking it back and forth with the audible slosh of water within it. Your throat is parched, and your head pounds with each beat of your heart. What say you? Fine. Ask your questions. Now that's better, Sylvie. I just want to know why Luscious is being so kind to you. Because I'm a lovely person and I deserve kindness? Well, he has been making an unusual number of trips into town. Do you know who he's been going to see? Is it you? Perhaps a friend? And the way she looks at you is disgusting. Sylvie laughs. <laughs> Why don't you ask him yourself if you're so concerned? Oh, you're not being very helpful, Sylvie. You know, though, it is quite curious. Luscious refused to lead the team out to the promontory. And then we found you out there. I really do wonder who he is protecting. You know, he'll ruin his position here if he keeps going on like this. He can make his own decisions. Thank you for indulging me, Sylvie. I'll just leave this right here for you. And she places the water skin on the ledge with a knowing smile. A knowing smile that you'll never be able to reach it. But you'll be able to see it. And you'll know it's full of water. And she closes the door, cackling. And we will move away from the dark. Alice, you make your way back towards the farmstead. As you do so, you feel as if someone is walking next to you, keeping step with you, and you smell the familiar scent of burnt wood. That mysterious smell of burnt wood. As you look... You see that Erastos Plutarchos, husband of Katrin Joska, and one of the unlucky, or perhaps lucky, to be going to Atsakan alongside you. Keep step with you. Erastos is, like Alice, different. He is an ash genasi, with long black hair flecked with white and gray like soot and ash, that he binds into a long braid over his that drapes down his shoulder over his charcoal gray skin. He's not one to mince words. Erastos has always been a good friend to you over the years, and you've both shared a love of beautiful craftsmanship, Erastos admiring your tailoring while you've admired his fine carpet-making skills. A comfortable silence hangs in the air between the two of you, before Erastos makes the first foray into this conversation. Do you think we'll be able to keep our livelihoods on Atsakan? I barely think you'll be able to keep your life if you keep sneaking up on people like that. I nearly blasted you to ashes. He laughs. Because this is a regular occurrence for the two of you. 
it's almost like a a call sign and a counter sign. He sneaks up on you. You threaten to blast him, burn him, make him ashes. And he already is. We don't know the kind of animals that will be there. We fought worse monsters than what could ever possibly be over there. I'm sure we'll be fine. What, we can just say hello? Hello, beast. Do you care to, I don't know, something like that? You think that you'll be able to domesticate them? Domesticate? I would never invade in a biosphere of diverse, unexplored life and try and tame them. Just merely want to say hello. But we'll need wool. We'll need things to be able to turn into our textiles. Will fine textiles even be possible anymore? What will become of us if they can't? If I can't make make carpets, how will I be able to express myself? Art is everywhere. It is in everything. And if you don't have the hair of an animal to craft your talent, then perhaps there'll be something else, like hairy, like, I don't know, rock or something. I've never weaved with rock. Well, you will learn, and can can you imagine how many pilgrims came before you? What do you think that you simply fell out of the sky somewhere? In your past, there was someone who had to, perhaps, weave with rocks. So, shape up, pull yourself together, and, oh, who am I kidding? I'm nervous, too. What? what? Am I going to sew handkerchiefs? No. You'll be sewing everyone's clothes. I will not. We look like eight people. Right. Forget about my mirror image spell. Yes, I know. But still, we'll not be sewing everyone's clothes. I have more important things to do, things to see. New things to explore. I mean, it's a new continent. What, I'm going to spend it in a sewing circle by myself? As the conversation lulls and slips into comfortable silence, Erastos will continue to walk beside you. A cloud passes over the sun briefly as a sea breeze tussles your cloak and pulls at the wildflowers that grow between the road and the nearby fields. Five years. That's not a very long time. What will you do when you're a free man? Erastos's question harkens back to the governor's promise that anyone who survives for five years and aids the colony in becoming established will be granted a full pardon and freedom. What will I do when I am free? It's been a long time since I've truly been free. And I'm starting to learn that planning doesn't always work. You have to have some plan, some hope. What does that look like? Even if it's just you're gonna build a cottage and 
take care of your sheep and make beautiful clothes. It's the small things. You have to have some idea. Listen, what are you, my life coach or something? Did I hire you for this? No. Maybe stick to scarves and not subtlety, perhaps. But I do hope to find out why, why I am so different. And I hope to find out soon. I heard rumor that there's a whole kingdom run by people like you and me. Somewhere up in the north. A traitor, before I ended up here, said that it was called Ilverness. And when Katrin and I are free, we're going to take a boat, head back to the mainland, make our way up there. If you want to find an answer of why you're like you are, might be a good place to start. I could never leave my friend. Maybe you'll convince them to go with you. Maybe you won't even need them to. Things can change. As you said. First we have to survive, you know. And all that. So, maybe some preparation is in order. He nods. I sold off the last few of my rugs. Even actually sold off our house. Uh, for some more portable tools, cloaks, boots, necessities that we'll need. But small things that we've been able that we're able to take on the boat. Whew. Have you guys thought about that at all? I know you were gone. Yeah, well, we would sell our house, but Maya's going to live here once we're gone. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a shame. That's a darn shame. Shame we can't at least finance the house or something. She's a nice girl. It's a darn shame that she won't be coming. Yes, yes. Good healing in a pinch. Always been very thankful that she heals Katrin. I know, I know. I... What will I do without her? Besides shatter into a million pieces? I'm sure you'll be able to stitch yourself up, just like any of your clothing. Yes, I'm sure I will need to learn how to. Of course. He nods his head. And it's at about this point in the conversation that you're starting to near the farmstead. And that Erastos will take his leave from you. Unless you have any final things you'd like to say to him. Catch you on the boat on the port side. He does not smile. He just turns. Walks away. And as he does, the smell of burnt wood slowly disappears. As you make your way into the farmstead. But before we come to you and Kalina in the farmstead, let's find out. What happened to Marcus? Marcus, you awaken with a splitting headache in an unfamiliar stone room. You stare up at a cold stone ceiling. And beneath you, the familiar feeling of a cot. Your memory is a bit hazy. You know you met with the warden, and then you left. But as you left, you felt hot, feverish even. And then darkness. 
As you look about, you realize that you are still inside the prison, but you are not in a normal cell. The cot is too nice. The door doesn't even look like it's barred. This must be one of the guards' rooms. What do you do? As you lay there. Marcus will get up and head towards the door. The door is not barred. As you push yourself up, the door to the room opens, and Patron, Cassius Lubo's younger brother, the similarities, painful to look at, enters the room. Oh, you're awake. That's good. If you'd been asleep any longer, another guard may have kicked you out of here. He cracks a smile and a small laugh. A laugh that takes you back. His laugh is just like Cassius's, and he claps you on your left arm. You notice numbness in it, and you do remember that that's where the armband is. Under your clothing, of course. Yeah. Did you bring me here, Pedrin? What, what, do you know what happened to me? I'm kind of a loss. You were in there with the warden. It was actually far quicker than I expected. And then you came out. You seemed fine. You made it out of the warden's estate. You were crossing uh, towards the main gate. Uh, back into the prison. And you started to look really pale. Asked you if you needed to sit down. And before you even replied, you had keeled over. If some of the other guards had had their way, they, they would have locked you back up in a cell. But I said that as a colonist, you should be afforded some freedoms. And so we put you in here for a bit. Well, uh, thank you kindly. I, I do appreciate that uh, kindness, for sure. Um, am I free to go, or...? Of course. We're not holding you. You'll need to be escorted out, to avoid confusion, of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. So, uh, lead the way, I do suppose. And with that, Patron will lead you out. Is there anything you want to talk to him about on the way out? Do I get the sense that he wants to ask me a question? Do I get the sense that he's curious? I know he mentioned I knew his brother. But maybe is there something I can see? If not, then no. But Marcus will kind of just, if he doesn't want to ask Marcus anything. Marcus will kind of hold to himself as bad memories flood his brain. He sort of seems like he might want to ask Marcus some questions, but he's not. And you can tell that he won't. If you're going to ask him, and you can. But let's take a step back to those bad memories that are flooding through Marcus's mind. What are they? Marcus will walk with Pedrin for a little bit. And Marcus will just get memories of Cassius, remembering Marcus served under him for many years until he was out of the army. And Marcus feels a little angry. The anger simmers and sits as he remembers Cassius is the one who put him on this island. He's the one who's responsible. Cassius is the one that did give the orders that... Marcus disobeyed. He is the reason that you ended up here. And to hear that Cassius has gone on to 
improve his career, to work his way up within the army, while Marcus was condemned to this. Yeah. Marcus definitely has some baggage there. But Patron, he won't prod. He doesn't know why you ended up here. Not really. He possibly, probably doesn't even really know who you are. It's unlikely that Cassius would have said anything to him. And he'll eventually leave you at the gate of the prison. Wave you off. Wave back. The air outside the prison, it's cool. Night is falling soon. You'd better get home quick. Or at least as quickly as your body will let you. You're tired. Your arm, the one that the armband went on to, it's numb. But at the same time, it aches. Marcus will get on home as quickly as he can, trying to move his arm around and relieve any pressure, try to feel something with the slight sense that maybe he did the wrong thing. Or at least he might have not gotten the better end of that deal. As you feel around your arm, you don't feel the armband. Hmm. Do you pull up your sleeve? I sure do. As you pull up your sleeve, you do not find the armband. Instead, you find a tattooed band in a deep, dark green with minor bruising radiating around it. Oh, that's just... That's just really lovely. Nothing possibly could be wrong with that. He'll say to himself. And with that thought, you'll make your way home. Sylvie, time passes. You slip in and out of consciousness, barely able to speak as the heat and noxious fumes batter you. Your wrists, they're caked in blood where the manacles have cut into you. The door opens once more, and the dark silhouette of Warden Gracilis greets you. Her crimson military jacket and her hair drawn high into its heart-shaped pompadour. The only difference, a pair of dangling emerald earrings that glimmer softly. Now, Sylvie, you have been here for some time. Are you prepared to answer my questions honestly? I don't know how you've tricked Lashus into believing you, but I know you're lying. You know far more about the war front than you let on. Isn't that right? No, I, I don't know anything. I don't know what you want from me. She shakes her head. Sylvie, Sylvie, Sylvie. I grow tired of these games. Perhaps I'll just keep you here. I can always change who is on the ship. She meets your eyes as she lets that threat sink in. I don't know what you want me to tell you. 
I don't have the answers you're looking for. And regardless of whether you keep me here or not, torture me to death, I that won't change because I don't know. She clenches her right hand into a fist and then releases it. You disappoint me, Sylvie. Perhaps I'll send your friend Maya instead and keep you here in her place. Perhaps not. The tails of her jacket, they flick out as she spins and turns. The door closes with a harsh clang and a resounding click from the lock. You hear Luscious's voice on the other side. Warden, she isn't lying to you. She knows nothing about the offensive in Talren and the events that occurred on the promontory. They perhaps saved this island, please. You have to listen. Let me show you. There is the sound of flesh striking flesh. You dare touch me with your magic? You insolent cur! I did not drag you out of this prison to serve me so that you could feed me lies and twist my mind with your magic. I didn't. I wasn't. Luscious cries out as if struck, though you do not hear any sound of this blow. Be silent! You clearly are protecting this group of miscreants. And if you wish to protect them so much, then so be it. You can continue to protect them. A wave of noxious fumes funnels up from the depths. And you are greeted by the sweet silence of unconscious darkness. Alice and Kalina, you have both arrived back at the farmstead and have gone about your chores. But as you finish the chores that kept you on separate parts of the farmstead, you have now both returned to the main room, with a fire gently warming whatever Kalina has decided to make for dinner tonight. Do the two of you discuss anything while the others are away? Good evening, or good day, Kalina. Good afternoon, Alice. Are you ready for this trip? Oh, before I forget, uh, Anasis asked, do you think you can make some socks for the kids before we go? She said socks seems to be the thing they need for the winter. Very well. I will do my best, though they won't be as extravagant as they usually are. I don't think I can I can make them look like mist stalkers, like I usually do. But sure, sure, yeah, yes, send, send word, and I will make socks. <laughs> they just need something to cover their feet, Alice. Uh, I think it's anything's better than walking in the cold and bare feet. Especially around here. I'll do my best. Those orphans. What 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 will become of them after we're gone? Who will regale them with tales of dark demons of the past before lunch? I don't know. I'd say Vanessa would if she was still here, but she's coming along. Maya's coming too, so at least maybe one of Sylvie's friends might help out. I don't know. Someone's been Anasa says someone's been making some generous donations lately. That's unusual. I thought I saw someone do something similar a while ago, but didn't see who. How generous are these donations? Like, very? Some gold, which is highly unusual. 
Usually it's just coppers and silvers. You know, whatever anyone can spare. If they spare anything. Well, you're asking about preparedness, and it would seem that the level of preparation we have for orphans is hoping one of Sylvie's friends takes care of them and that um, the mysterious donator will handle it. It seems fit to me, as long as they have socks. I'm sure everything will be fine. But my friend had come by earlier and has really made me also start to worry about us. I know we are quite resourceful as we have just survived a deadly haunted house, but I don't know. Do you feel prepared in terms of survival for the trip? Hadn't really had a chance to think about it lately. I mean, if I can sneak those swords on, I'll feel a lot better. I don't know how much I trust any of the rats that are coming aboard to keep anyone safe. I mean, I've charged head forward into spellcasting elves before. This can't be much worse than that. No, no, certainly not. No, will not be worse than that. But the those swords, did I miss something of their appearance because of the twisting nether necromancy? Or, uh, where did you get those swords? Someone or something gave them to me. Give me a sec, and Kleena will go and grab the swords and pull them out for Alice to see. Uh, she'll ha- you'll see, uh, the one with the red ribbon. She'll, like, hand, up, hand that first. This one's serene. My mother wielded this one. Alice will take the sword. Sure, it's a bit heavy. Zarms will drop a little bit, but... Celine, it, it it has a name. Um, Alice will look at the blade. Hello, Celine. I'm Alice. And he'll wait for her. <laughs> it's Serene, Alice, and it's not magical. Serene. Serene. Mm-hmm. Serene. So, it, it's just a normal... Wait, wait. Oh, let's... Let's go back here a little bit. I'm not talking like 800 years, but maybe a little bit. So, something gave you your mother's sword. Is that correct? And my brother's. Uh, my older brother's sword, too. And your, and your family collection. Where, where were these previously? And how did this being come upon something so precious to you? That's the disturbing part. I don't know. I I originally left them with my younger brothers as keepsakes before I went to fight in the Amaranthi conflict and kind of didn't go home after it and went straight to the Oskarul forest and fought the Bridals immediately afterwards. And this being must have taken them from 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 them. Are you worried about what did this being harm them? I don't know. When I got home, I got a letter saying I was being redeployed somewhere. You know, standard military stuff. <laughs> and I, uh, went home to check on them. I mean, it'd been almost a decade since i seen them. There was nothing there. My father got rid of everything that related to my mother or my brothers. Even the nursemaid he hired to take care of them. I don't know where they've been. 
for the past six years. So I don't know how this thing got him in the first place. It wouldn't answer it. I always knew that, you know, it was rough, but I didn't know that it happened like that. That's, that's awful. I, you know, I, I wish I could comment on my parents, but I was kidnapped by a witch and turned into a bird. So. Well, you definitely got the worst end of the deal. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know. But what I will say is that any entity that gifts you something that close to your heart, well, that's dangerous stuff. And I don't know if you made a deal or whatever, but I would, I would ask you to be cautious. I kind of did have to. They weren't free. Well, now I'm even more worried. What What did you give them, Kalina? I just promised a favor in return for these heirlooms. To be honest, I'd do almost anything for them anyway, so a favor is not much of an ask. A blatant favor, Kalina, that could be anything. I don't think, I don't think that it me telling you to do something will work, but I would hope that maybe in the future you would at least counsel me, because I do have your best interests in heart, so. Uh, well, at the time, it wasn't really possible to consult anyone. It was actually happened when we were fighting Quintal, but it was really weird. Like, time stopped. Uh, never experienced that before. And then I heard this voice. So, sorry, I couldn't really consult anyone in the middle of a fight. Or in a... With everything stopped. And like I said, I there's not very little I would not have done for these things. A voice in the middle of that fight. I, and I, heard, a, I heard a voice too, but... It was the voice of... To my understanding... It was Kagosa who was whispering... In our ears during that fight, beckoning to join them. If I remember correctly, it wasn't Gosa who gave you those, was it? Maybe. I mean, it definitely wasn't. It definitely wasn't Kagosa. It was a different voice, an older lady. I'd, I'd never met her, so it could have been a ghost in the house. Although I don't know if they can stop time. Granted, I, don't, I didn't know ghosts could hurt you either. Or that there was a gigantic ghost house that wanted to feed on souls and resurrect some demigod or god or monster that wants to destroy the world. So anything's possible at this point. But it wasn't that voice. I suppose anything is is possible. And I mean, you know, I've been telling everyone of your heroism, the great Kalina striker down of the... What, what I forget. didn't I tell a story? Maybe you know the, how you slew the creature. Just amazing, clean. Anyway, if it is a spirit, I mean, should we ask? And Alice will take out the planchette. Uh, don't you have to know who it is? Uh, you can see Kalina's kind of like averted, kind of like looks a little nervous when you pull it out. 
great idea, Kalina. I'm I'm glad you're so interested. And Alice will let let right. Let's find out who it is. Alice will flatten his handkerchief and take out a planchette. And be like, right, Kalina, put your put your head right here, Kalina. <laughs> it is as the two of them are beginning this seance as as Alice is trying to goad Kalina into taking part in it that the door to your farmstead opens with a creak and a very weak and pale Marcus stands there he looks a bit unsteady on his feet but he does not appear to have been harmed Marcus are you all right hey, howdy yeah I'm I'm fine Thanks for asking. Don't appreciate it. Marcus, we were worried. I sent a cockroach to go listen into the walls about what was going on. I, I haven't heard back, clearly. As Marcus saunters in a bit and sits down, there's a slight movement to your clothing, actually. And a cockroach that was clinging between the outer folds of your tunic crawls out and onto your shoulder. Alice, this cockroach does look quite familiar. There you are. Alice will go and pick up the cockroach and go back to where he was. Wait, you 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 sent a cockroach? A, you sent a cockroach? Of course. Of course, yeah, that makes makes sense. The cockroach's feelers are going wild, and if you had speak with animals active, you probably would be getting a earful about it from what it's gone through. Listen, creature, I need to listen to Marcus right now, not you. So, chill, and he'll put him on his shoulder. So, uh, what's everyone been doing? Asking us? We were separated in Vexen prison, and... I mean, we all got out. So, well, not all of us. Not Sylvie, actually. Marcus, you also notice that Alice has laid out his handkerchief, and he has the planchette in his hand. Hmm. So, uh, what you doing with the... that? Have we not learned a lesson of summoning things? We learned a great lesson that calling ghosts can lead us to finding answers and we were just about to alice will look to kalina to see if kalina wants him to share because he's not just going to sh share what's going on kalina's kind of like torn just kind of looks at alice with like a uh yeah sure kind of look and then looks at mark just be like like begging sensation be like change change the subject change the subject change the subject we were just about to call the entity that gave kalina her family weapons maybe we could do that later let's find out what happened to marcus and maybe sylvie first you're right you're right marcus is more important right now nothing really happened per se you know just uh um, I had my meeting with governor and that's about it. And then I, I mean, I felt ill at some point, I, I suppose, but, uh, I was let go and I walked back home. You're the one that met with the warden. Yeah. This, I met with the warden and, uh, 
I was able to secure Maya's uh, ticket on the ship. What? Kalina looks at him very suspiciously, but doesn't say anything. Well, Marcus, that's great news. I, how did you do it? Well, I, I had to give her something pretty valuable. Uh, to me, she thought it was. Uh, she thought it was pretty funny. It wasn't an orchid, was it? <laughs> uh, no, I, I gave her my, my wedding ring. She, uh, she had a good kick out of that one. I didn't know you were married. Technically, I'm not anymore, but I, I, I was. I was. Alice is mortified, like jaw down. Your wedding ring. Marcus, how, how can we ever repay you? There's no need to do that. You all are my family, so I'll do anything for my family. And a wedding ring was enough to get the warden to listen to a prisoner? Don't insult his jewelry like that. Very nuts. Well, I, I, uh, they're pretty convincing. And, uh, I won't say there wasn't a little bit of, uh, trickery involved, but, uh, little wordplay. My gods, did you marry the warden? Well, as much as I, this old bag of bones still has some charm left in him, I wasn't able to secure any kind of romantic gestures with her. But, uh, no, just uh, kind of played it off as a dumb old country bumpkin. She thought, found it funny. That's all it takes. <laughs> you probably wouldn't want to marry her anyway if you know her reputation. No, I, I do not. I do not either. Neither of you do? You've not heard the rumors that they say about her? Maybe that's just in the army, I guess. I don't, I don't remember any rumors, but maybe I just didn't hear them either. Yes, please share. I was trapped in a, in a mirror on a wall at the time. <laughs> I mean, she was sent here because she was a threat to the council. Uh, at least that's, that's what they say in the rank and file anyway. Never really know how much that's actually true. Maybe she pissed someone off and they sent her here as a punishment. That's highly possible. Do you know why she was a threat? That sounds pretty par for the course, but why was she so threatening? Kalina shrugs. I don't know. That's kind of all I heard. I wouldn't be surprised if this whole Atskazan thing is to win some type of support, though. I mean, imagine what someone like her would be able to do if she established the first colony in Atskazan, you know. Would look pretty good to the higher brass, higher ups, if she was the one that led it. Assuming any of us survive, that is. Way to be positive. Maybe, but I don't know. Well, I mean, we're going to an unexplored island with a bunch of people who've never seen battle and the rejects from the army. <laughs> I don't know how many of these guys have actually seen combat. Oh, maybe it'll be just animals and it'll be easy. Some tells me it's not going to be just animals, but I'm hoping you're right. I fought enough in a forest. Even forests have dangers that people can't see. Yes, I'm aware. Did you see Sylvie? No, I didn't even know she wasn't 
out. Then the warden must still be questioning her. Hopefully she's not uh, in any danger. Well, the Gnosis told me that supposedly there was an attack by the Bright Elves on some of the southern port cities of Tauren. And supposedly the warden's been really angry and rounding up half-elves in the colony. Well, that's uh, curious, dangerous, all kinds of things. She has Sylvie in there just because she's a half-elf. I'm going to go burn the prison to the ground. Well, I would love to do that. They unfortunately outnumber us and have better armor and weapons. Even with these swords, I don't think I can take on the prison guards. Maybe I could make like a anim- woodland animal army of squirrels and things. Then we might outnumber them. I'm not sure if squirrels can do much of anything against them. Because they can bite very hard. They have the big teeth. Do we even have native squirrels? Are there native squirrels? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the squirrels on Merstwall are an invasive species brought over on ship accidentally. Those invasive squirrels would be great to join with us. And... Uh, the chi- the native chicken population is quite large, and they they know what they're doing. I think I'd feel more comfortable if you had things like mist stalkers or wolves or something of that nature. Well, how about we just don't fight anybody? That's a good idea, right? But our friend is in trouble, Marcus. You even married the warden for Maya. I did, I did not marry that woman. I had no romantic relations with her. And so I think we need to kick that one in the butt right here. Fine. You didn't marry the... <laughs> you didn't marry the warden. Fine. But we can't not react if they're going to keep our friend Sylvie. It is at this point in the conversation that Maya will return to the homestead. But before she arrives, as dusk fell and the blue general store closed, I think there was a walk planned with a young man that we should find out about first. As dusk falls, the door to the blue general store opens, the little bell tinkling and a very cleaned-up version of Silas stands there. His unruly black curls have been picked free of wood shavings and dust, while his goatee has been clearly trimmed, and he is even wearing a different set of clothes than he had on earlier. A tunic that, perhaps, was freshly laundered by Zosme. Behind you, and completely unseen by you, Maya, Nicostratus and Ambrose share a look, as Nicostratus holds up one finger and makes a zero with his other hand, as if conveying to Ambrose one point Silas, zero points Petros. Nicostratus walks up behind you, Maya, and taps you on the shoulder. Why don't you go head on out? We'll finish closing up. Oh, uh, are, are you sure? I know I haven't been here the last little while. Are you sure? Of course. You see Ambrose off to the side. He's holding up his thumbs at you with this big smile and making a shooing motion. Okay, thank you. 
I'll see you tomorrow. They give you a conspiratorial wink. Silas's appearance is not lost on Meyer, rather the changes in his appearance. And I think she feels maybe a little self-conscious, a little uncertain. It's not the first time that she has walked with Silas. And I don't know that he's ever put quite this much effort into, or this much obvious effort anyway, into tidying himself up for a walk. So I think she feels a little, a little uncertain. As you undo your apron and hand it off to Nicostratus, smooth your clothing, finely tailored by Alice, you make your way to the door. Silas looks at you. I hope I didn't arrive too early, he says as he offers you his arm. Oh no, this is perfect. Maya will take his arm. Where are we off to? The water? Or can I escort you back to your place? You know, I think the water would be lovely. He'll smile. So, how have things been in town the last few days? You pass by a few of the shops. As dusk is falling, they're also beginning to close up. But the sunset is beautiful. Silas looks to you and goes, It's been quieter and safer. There haven't been any more deaths. And everyone's just been really busy. Yeah, I imagine. I'm, I'm glad you're all right with the murders and, well, I was worried about everyone I knew. A smile twitches at the corner of his mouth as you begin to say that you are worried about him. But then when you add that you're worried about everyone, it falls a little bit, but he catches himself. This poor guy. I feel so bad for him. Maya doesn't know enough to feel bad for him, though, so that's all right. So, hey, you said everybody's really busy preparing for the voyage. I, I imagine it's keeping you quite busy as well. I know what we're doing at the store, and Petrus has obviously been making a lot of nails, and uh, and what have you been doing? To be honest, it's been a lot of boxes. It's been a lot of preparing handles and hafts for tools. All the different parts we'll need for wheels, wagons, but mostly handles and hafts. Petros, he's also been working on blades for saws, hammerheads. I guess that makes sense. I've wondered if perhaps they'll send you with weapons, but I suppose not. I hope you won't need them. I hope we won't need them, too. I, I haven't heard anything about them sending weapons with us, so... Yeah, yeah. Probably not. Changes a lot. Sorry? You were going to say something. As you ask him what he was going to say, you round some of the last few buildings and you start to walk along the beach. In the distance, the sunset. It's glorious. All beautiful tones. Reds, oranges, yellows 
blending into blues and purple into black. Tolmi and Ashta, the gray mother and the purple child, you can see that they've risen. They look to be in perhaps the first quarter. The union of their light coming down upon the world creates an almost ethereal look to the sand and to some of the white the pebbles. Silas, his, his breath hitches. So he just takes it in. Maya, I think, has a little lump in her throat as well. She obviously didn't expect to see another sunset, another sunrise. And it's absolutely beautiful. And I think the fact that this is the first one she's seeing since coming back from the dead, it is just that much more vibrant and vivid. And and she just you know, takes in all of the details and says, everything has changed. And she's thinking about coming back from the dead and the message that Ashen gave her and this new direction in life that she's heading out on. But realizing that Silas doesn't, doesn't know any of that, she'll catch herself and say, I mean, the voyage, it, it changes everything for, for all of us. For those of you that are going, it's, it's a chance at freedom. And, and for those of us that are still here, well, there's always the next lottery. I never thought that I would even have a hope of getting off of this island. But it seems like maybe it could be possible. He'll look at you, and I certainly hope that you get that chance, too. You're leaving everyone behind here. Or, everyone's leaving you behind. But there's always the next ship, you never know. Sounds like the Warden wants to send a lot of people, so... Maybe. Maybe. Silas will swallow. If you could be anywhere, where would you be? You know, I never really thought about that. I, I'm just here. There's no, no option of being anywhere else. And, and I think for a lot of you, you might think about going home, but there is no home for me to go back to. I don't know, I guess if I could be anywhere. Maybe the people are more important. There are a lot of people that I would like to be with me if I could be anywhere. I don't know that the place matters so much, although you know, not being here would be pretty great. But, you know, that said, if I wasn't here, I... There's so many people that I wouldn't have met, so many people that 
they're the people I'd want to be with me if I could be anywhere. And I would not know them, so... Maybe it's not... No, no, it's pretty bad being here. But... Still, some good things have come from it. Where... where would you be? He'll sort of laugh a bit. He'll stretch. I grew up in this small town. Gaspar. It's in southern. It's in the south. It's by the border. Up until a week ago, I would have said that I just... If I wasn't here, I'd hope that I could be back home, but... Sounds like there isn't really much of home anymore. It's a hard thing to come to terms with. Especially if you weren't there to see it go. But maybe in some ways it's a blessing to remember it the way that it was. To not know what it's like now. To not really You know, memories, they're a lot like carving. Yeah, or at least that's what my pa always said. And I think that there was some truth to it. In the beginning, you, you remember everything and it's this big, unwieldy thing. And it has has knots in it. It has bark. You can get hurt on it. But over time, you can whittle it down until what you remember doesn't hurt. Until what you remember is just beautiful. I know you said this place is its pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. But he'll look out at the sunset. He'll look back to you. From where I'm standing, it's not. If anybody asked me, I didn't think, you know, that it would be possible to miss a place like this. Not that I ever thought I'd have a chance to miss it. Could see missing some things. The prison. That's another story. Oh, oh no, 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 <laughs> no. The colony has, I mean, has its uh, unpleasant moments, but sometimes you can forget that we're prisoners. I can anyway. But enough about this island. You have. An amazing opportunity ahead of you. Five years on Atsakan. I know it sounds like a long time, but... But we did three in prison. And, well, some of us longer than three. I only did three, thank the gods. What do you think you're going to do with your five years on Atsakan? They're going to need houses. going to need wheels. I won't be without work, but... Do you really think we can do it? Well, Wharton certainly seems to think so. 
I don't know. I mean, till the ship came back, I'm sure we all would have said it was impossible to even make it there and return again in one piece. So perhaps it is possible. I certainly hope you're on the next boat. I want you to have that chance, too. It's certainly something seems amazing to have an opportunity for exploration and just it just feels like a limitless opportunity but still the still not free of the shadow of the warden well i know i know many of you would return to Telren if you could so perhaps it doesn't seem so bad. But still, even the thought of, I don't know, losing myself in the wilds, bats again. I don't know, that's silly, I think. I don't think I would survive very long on my own, and I, I don't know that I'd want to, but still, just the thought of being that free sounds wonderful. Not being beholden anymore. Not being in this cage, even though it's... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Traded bars just for bigger ones. But... That's a can. It's a blank canvas. Yeah. It's a piece of new wood. We can shape it to be whatever we want it. And I'm sure that there'll be trials ahead. I'm sure that there's going to be rot. But at least you're working towards something here. Well, we, you know, we, we do our jobs, we do what we can, and I suppose in, in some ways people have found meaning but it's very limiting perhaps I can you could build maybe I don't know I've never been there maybe it won't be as wonderful as I think but but even if it's terrible at the end of five years you're free to do what you want What will you do? Depends who's there. Yeah, I guess so. Depends what happens. Depends what Atsakan's like. If it's nice enough, maybe people will want to stay. When I was a kid in Gospar, there's, there's a river. And there's a water wheel. It's attached to the, uh, to the mill. Always go down there mill the grain into flour. I want to build one. I want to build one there. But I want to build one that's better. Well, you'll be one of the only ones who has the skill. I'm sure there will be an opportunity. What will you miss most about Marstwall? If, if anything, really? It won't be the island's rugged charm. You sure it's not the way that old man Longsteps 
cries in the middle of the night. Oh, I'll miss his moonshine. I'll definitely miss his moonshine. I think I could do a bit less without his, uh... Without his yelling. Without his crazy stories. You know, he came barging in. Came barging into the tavern. A couple nights back. Screaming. Not screaming, yelling. Yelling about how the moon was being f- beaten back. More years had been bought. Not all of us here were safe. Then he bought rounds for the entire establishment. All <laughs> well, that seems nicer than his usual brand of crazy. Usually it's, you know, the dire threat of the moon people. That sounds more hopeful. Maybe with the possibility of the voyage, there's a little more hope in the air for everyone. Well, he's coming with, so... (laughs) I guess I can't miss that, actually. Uh, Yeah, I guess guess I'll be the one missing it. I'll miss seeing familiar faces. And the way he says that, as he does, his gaze sort of lingers on yours before he looks back out into the water. And I'll... I'll miss everyone being left behind. (laughs) Warden. And the guards excluded, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. That goes without saying. Are you going to miss anyone that's going? S- aside from, I'm sure you'll miss your your housemates. Oh, yeah. I think... I'm going to miss so many people. I mean, Nicostratos and Ambrose, I, I spend every day for... Sometimes I think I spend more time with them than my housemates. The long hours in the store... I'll miss, I'll miss them. It'll be so strange without them. And I mean, I'll miss you. I've always enjoyed our walks together. He'll clasp your hand and he'll hold it tightly. And he'll look at you and go, I'll miss you too. I'll, I'll even miss uh, Petros with his grouchy... I, I I know what he hardly even talks to me, but I think I'll miss him too, and I'll, I'll miss old man Longstep with his shouting about the moon people. It's going to be boring without him around. You see his face light up, and then it is like someone kicked a puppy. Oh no! As Maya says, that she'll miss Petros too. <laughs> Yeah, no, but Maya, he just... Yeah, she doesn't know, so... (laughs) He'll quickly recover, knocking out a joke. It's a bit half-hearted, but... You might laugh to it. And then he'll say... With all your housemates going, have you decided if you're going to take anyone new on? Oh, um... Well, I... 
I talked to Nick Estratus about it, and I think we're going to see if some of the older orphans maybe would like some work experience. There's not a lot to offer them here on the island. I mean, always the mines and logging, but something a little different for anyone who's interested, so. Well, that'll keep me busy. No one moving into the farmstead with you? No. Vanessa wanted me to take Buttercup, but I work so long at the store and with, without Nicostratos and Ambrose, I don't think... I just... I, could, I couldn't. I couldn't look after her. No, I guess... It'll be just me, then. Sounds weird. And lonely. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, maybe... Uh, you get rid of the house, just live in the store, though. That sounds kind of sad. I don't know, I think everybody I care about is going. Maya can't really tell why Silas brightens up a bit. Becomes a bit more animated into the conversation again. But... This whole experience is just so confusing for her. <laughs> but, you know... Tensions are running high, people are preparing to leave the island. It must just be that, you know, he's, he's emotional. We're all emotional. It's fine. He's just... Internally, Silas is going, Well, she'll miss me. And Petros. She deflected my comment about uh, if anyone's moving in with her. Uh, and instead talked about orphans. Oh, oh, she actually answered my question. Oh, she doesn't... There, there isn't anyone moving in with her. Well, I mean, maybe I'll be on the next ship. Maybe... I don't know. Who knows? It's so... I think it's going to be a big adjustment. And... I should probably give myself time because because I don't know what to do, I think. With everybody leaving, do I do I make new friends and then they leave too? Or do I make new friends and then I leave? I don't know, it just it feels so I don't know. Honestly, Maya's having a really hard time because it's like, I've never thought about a lot of these things because I'm definitely not still going to be here. So, hmm, what would I think if I was still going to be here? Also, is he going to be mad that I lied when I'm there and not still on Merstwall? Hmm. Perhaps I should hide for the remainder of the time until the ship sets sail, and then I won't have to answer any more of these awkward questions about my life that I'm going to lead when I'm left behind here. I heard a rumor. Oh? Anyone that's on the first voyage over, that... The... the... You guys are, you're, you're going to be okay, right? Like, it's not. You see, he's tongue-tied. He's blushing a little bit. Anyone that's on the first voyage over that has 
a partner there. Their partner will be assured to be on the second one. That's great! Oh, I was so worried about Nicostratus when Ambrose was chosen. I can only imagine how many other people are in the same boat. That's... That's unusually... compassionate? Awarded? But it's just a rumor, right? Because the scene does not Some guards were talking about it. Oh. So... People are at least taking it as a bit more than a rumor. Yeah, well, I can see that. Hmm. Maya and her head's going through the list of, like, people that she remembers being on the list and how many of them were couples that were separated and how many... She doesn't remember the list that well. <laughs> but her brain's trying to, like, huh, how many people will they send on the next voyage and, and why? Why would the warden do this? She hoping that then they'll have children and carry on the colony? Well, an ant can me. Hmm. Her, I, I think I know what Silence is getting at, but Maya? Because she's not, she's not going to be on the next ship, so. <laughs> this poor man, I, I feel so badly for him. A few more minutes of your conversation will pass, and the sun is beginning to get low. And Silas looks at you and goes, I should get you back to your place before it gets too dark. That's a good idea. Maybe Marcus and Sylvie will be back by now. I hope they are. And with that, he'll walk you back to your house, back to the farmstead. As they're walking, Maya's going to be like, Oh, is there? I actually don't think I've ever asked you. Are, are you? Is there somebody? You're. I know you're not married, but are you marrying somebody to bring them on the next ship? That'd be a great idea. In fact, yeah. No, I think that does. Well, I guess it's a bit of a gamble. In case it is just a rumor. Imagine you see his emotions, and they go from, he's been really trying to not say anything, but make it very clear, to utter defeat, <laughs> to skyrocketing back up, to utter defeat, to back up, to utter defeat, <laughs> this guy. to like a bit of a plateau, and just sort of hung there and was able to keep stable there. And now has just gone through the super embarrassing loop. <laughs> as Maya has been asking these questions. And he doesn't really know how to respond. If Maya keeps babbling on. Oh, I mean, probably. She's, now she's thinking, I wonder who else will do that. You know, I wonder if anybody, like even if you were just friends and you didn't want to be left behind, could be worth it. Because either... You're married and you're not really married to the person because you don't make it onto the next ship, so no big deal. Or you're married and then you get on the next ship and then you get to go be with everybody else and then you don't have to be married anymore. Who's getting married? Are there a lot of marriages going on? Is there like a big... I've been gone too. How come Nicostratus didn't tell me about this? 
Maya's gonna look and be like, who else is getting married? As you're babbling on, as Maya is talking about this, having her internal monologue projected externally, Silas is going to stop. He's gonna hold your hand and look at you. The moonlight coming down. It makes these little flowers that are growing all along the edges of the road. It brightens them. So that they are almost radiant. Luminous. No. There's no one that I was going to. I, I don't have any, any anyone. Um, oh. There was... There's one girl. Oh, in Tarana. She doesn't know. Why not? I mean, that's a silly question. Sometimes it's just never the right time. Sometimes you're just waiting. You know, being here. There are some people that they can. They can put down roots. They can look around and go, I can make the best of this life and I can share it with someone that I love. And I can... I can raise children into this life. But I I couldn't. I couldn't give the guards, the warden. I couldn't give anyone that kind of power over me. Maya's just nodding in complete understanding. That scans an entirely different story. I'm sure the warden will end up there, but it's a chance to start over. Yeah. And I just wish I was braver. And I'll sort of give you a bit of a half smile. Maya will squeeze his hand and smile back and say, No, I think you're right. I think. The Warden has too much power over us already. The people that started completely new lives here, got married, had children. I don't know how they do it. I, like you, I couldn't, couldn't ever think about giving her that kind of power over me. It's hard enough sometimes just to have friends. But Hatsuken isn't new. It's hope in a lot of different. Maybe it would be possible to move on. Start, really, really start. Make those kinds of commitments that that seem so... I was going to say impossible, but I think inadvisable here on Wall. Yeah, I really hope that I... I really hope you do too. And we'll move away from the scene as the two of you stand there. The light of Tolby, the light of Ashta, gray and purple. As it comes down onto the, the dirt lane that leads up towards your farmstead. a little sea breeze rustles through the tall grasses 
and the flowers. That's where we'll leave that scene. Dusk has fallen, and it is at this time that the door creaks open, and Maya steps in, following in after her walk with Silas. Marcus! Maya's gonna launch herself at him and give him a huge hug. Oh, well, how you doing? Are you okay? I'm, I'm fine. Totally fine. Just, uh, getting a little old, I guess. I was so worried when they didn't let you out with the rest of us. Is Sylvie back? Maya looks around very hopefully. She is not. Oh, no. Do we have Selv for, for, for Burns? Hmm, maybe Sylvie has him in her room, but why would we need that? Uh, well, um... Marcus, you you weren't in the furnace, right? No, but I met with the governor, so... <clears throat> okay, Luscious came by the store and he said that we're going to need Selv for Burns because Sylvie's in the furnace. Oh my. Why is she in the furnace? He didn't say. He said she told the warden the truth, but the warden didn't believe her. And sometimes she's in the furnace. Hey, Alice, your squirrel plan. Did you actually do that? Squirrel plan? I will try. Alice will walk out the door. Maya looks at Marcus and Kleena and... What? What squirrel plan? What's going on? Well, as far as I can gather, we're going to go save Sylvie apparently by employing an army of invasive squirrels who may or may not bite people to death. Maya's gonna rush right out after Alice. Alice! Maya? I don't think this is a good idea. Can we talk about it? Fine. And Alice will go back into the house. Maya follows Alice back into the house as she's a little bit at a loss for words, but but she's trying. I don't think there's so there's so many guards and they've got all those thick stone walls and the gates and I, I don't see how we could possibly get Sylvie out. I think likely we just die in the attempt. To a squirrel, a wall and a gate are simply a door. And if we get enough of them they could easily, easily carry Sylvie out. Easily. I don't think the warden's going to let her go without a fight, even if an army of squirrels does come to save her. Bring it on. Marcus is married to her anyway, so she's legally bound to not go after us. That's... That, no, 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 no. What? Marcus! I just want to make it very clear. I'm not married to Are you okay? I'm I'm fine. I passed out at some point and just feeling kind of just kind of out under the weather. But uh. But you're not married to the warden. No, I am. I am not. I met with the warden, 
that I was able to secure your passage. What? On the ship, yeah. How? I had to give up something uh, special to me. Marcus, you didn't have to do that. Sure as rain did. Nah. I'd do anything for my family. And I'm not married anymore, so I don't really need that wedding ring. You know? Marcus. Maya gives him another big hug. But she she traded me for a ring? She traded my suffering, my sadness, for it. You. Maya looks suspicious, but not in the way that, like, she thinks Marcus is lying to her. More in that she thinks somehow the warden has done something, gotten something else out of this that Marcus isn't aware of yet. Well, that that's really, that's really good news. But back to the problem with Sylvia, I just don't... There's not really a lot we can do without sacrificing ourselves. We could talk to her. We could, we could talk to her? I mean, she might throw us in the furnace, but we could go up there and demand an audience or something. I don't know. Just, I can't sit here. Sometimes waiting is the hardest thing to do, but it's all you can do. We could, you know, do Sylvie's work for her, help make her preparations for the voyage and, and get that burn self. And, and then when Sylvie comes back to us, we'll just, she just has to rest and get better. And I don't, don't know what else we can do. What if the warden doesn't let her out? Well, look, if it looks, if we're, if we're, if it's really close to the time we're about to get on the ship and, and Sylvie's still not back, then that, then I'm for the squirrel invasion. You want us to just wait three days, four days and hope? Haven't we all done time in the furnace? It, it's awful and terrible, uh, but they don't kill you and... I don't think that Sylvie's going to want to get out of the furnace and find out that we're all dead. And a lot of squirrels into the bargain. So, so maybe we should wait? Oh, I forgot. To, you don't know. Um, I talked to Anasis earlier, and the warden's in rounding up half-elves. I don't know if they're all in the furnace, but she's definitely been taking them to the prison. I think, at least. All because the Bridals did some attack on Southern Tauren. They attacked? Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Then maybe the first thing to do is to find out if any of the half-elves that she's taken have been let free. If they're all still there, then I then then we should worry. I don't know anyone. Do you know any of the half-elves? Well, Nicostratos is a half-elf, but he didn't say anything about being taken into the prison. He seems fine, but hopefully he's not next. Hmm. I wonder if she's ignoring the ones that are on the list. That, no, because Sylvie's on the list. Well, I'll be going to work early tomorrow, and I can ask Nicostratos about about the other half-elves that have been taken. I know a, I know a half-elf as well. Amelia. She works in the tavern. I, I could probably talk to her. See what happened to her. See if she's okay. Mm -hmm. Do you know when she normally works? Maybe I saw her. Normally in the evening. Oh, I went pretty early. I don't think she'd be there. How about we just go and see if the warden will try and talk to us then? I mean, if Lashes is telling you maybe he can get us an audience then? 
he just, you know, said it into my mind, and when I when I asked him more, he didn't answer any of my questions. I don't think he's going to help us. I don't even know why he said what he did. Well, I was about to ask about that. He didn't even say it was Sylvie. He just said, your friend is in the furnace. He just happened to be in the store buying a another pouch for his coins. I don't know where he's losing them, but I just happened to be there. Like, he really went out of his way to say something to me. Fine. I guess we'll wait. Could always consult the board. Let's not consult the board. Alright, fine. I'll put it away. I'm tired. It has been a day. Really... Really weird day. Yes, it is. Yep. We'll see what more we can find out tomorrow about Sylvie and if there's anything that we can do. Sounds good to me. Lena, you can tell she's very upset but doesn't say anything. We'll grab her swords and go put them up. Alice, no. And then ducks outside to raise the squirrel army. (laughs) We wake up and they're all just standing at attention. I'll show them moon people. (laughs) Are there any conversations that you would like to have with the four of you that are present? Or will time tick forward? I think that just as Maya's about to head to bed, she'd just give Marcus another hug and say, you really didn't have to, but I really appreciate it, and I'm very glad that we're all going together. I do, uh, I do anything for you. You remind me a lot of my sister. Well, it wouldn't be much fun if you weren't there anyway, because then it would be Alice and Kalina and Sylvie raising giant squirrel armies, and uh, there'd be no one out here to help me stop, uh, stop the madness, so. But, uh, when you're well rested, I'd, I'd like to ask you and the group to help me do something. Of course. You know, you don't talk about your past very much, Marcus, but if you ever did want to talk, I'm, I'm here. I'm kind of going through a kind of a crisis or like a realization, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's uh, the house and you dying and coming back to life and just kind of going on this boat and just kind of I got a lot of loose ends I need to to close get closure on before I can go I guess before you start this new part of your life yeah that's that's something like that yeah good idea you know when we were sent here I don't know about you but I really didn't have any warning there was no no closure, no no way to tie up the loose ends. And, and now we have warning before we move on to the next next whatever it is that that we're gonna find on Atsakan and I get and in some ways I guess it's a bit of a gift that we have this time to say goodbye to people and I guess that's something I need to think about. I was so set on pretending that I wasn't going that and not giving away the secret of my 
stowing away, I, I haven't really thought about closure. I don't have a lot of people to say goodbye to, maybe one or two, but I need to, uh, I need to bury my daughter. Here? Well. Maya's looking like, oh my god, wait, you had a daughter here on Merstwell that none of us knew about? What? No, oh, lord no, lord no. No, I, not that I know of anyway. I'm still kind of a, a fox for you sometimes, you know, but, uh, you know about my daughter, right? Not very much, really. Just so that you have one. Had one? We can wait till everyone's here, or we could... Sure, of course. Whatever you want. I'm afraid I might not get through it without a shedding a tear, so... And I only got about three cries in a month, so that's, uh... And I've already done one. Well, I've done two, but that was kind of in my head, so I don't think that counts, but... I have magic now. That's that's a new thing. We're here for you, Marcus. You just tell us what you need. Well, thank you. You too. See you in the morning. I'd, I'd love to hear more about your sister one day if you like sharing. That'll be another tale. Yeah. For sure. All right. Good night, little one. After Cleo's put her swords up, she'll go up to Marcus and go, Hey, Marcus, uh, got a second? Of course. Thanks. And she'll walk outside and wait for you. Marcus will follow right behind her. I'm I'm sorry that I let Maya die in the house. Uh, I know you two are close. I'm I'm sorry. To, uh, I'm maybe not understand what you're saying. Why are you sorry? It's not your fault. It's nobody's fault. Well, it's the damn house's fault. Well, I uh, when me and her. When we were in the bathroom, I saw a figure and brought it to her attention. I, I hesitated. Um, had a bad flashback to uh, the forest. And if I hadn't, it would have been me underneath that ice, not her. I don't want to be presumptive, but uh, in that house, I did notice a couple times. There was moments when things got dicey. Or magic was used, you kind of got a, well, you got a face that I, I make sometimes myself. I, uh, it kind of started shortly when we actually became colonists. Uh, I can't control it. I don't know why. I used to run headlong into death every day. I, but now it's shadows. Elves moving, Emirathians setting up an ambush, fire incinerating my friends, the wind howling. It all makes me kind of jump, freeze. I don't know how to explain it. I've, I've never felt, I didn't feel it until I came here. And I can't stop it. Every time I see a fire appear out of nowhere, or a rock falls, or the wind blows through the trees, I see a dark shadow and moves, I, I just keep remembering that damn forest. And it's kind of what caused <laughs> me to not defend Maya when, when she needed it. And almost everyone died, could have died in that room, 
somewhere in that house. And I, I just, I just felt like I had to apologize because I, I know you two are close and I kind of failed protecting her for you. If it wasn't for Maya, well, I don't think the five of us would be together right now. You don't have to apologize, Kalina, to me. You don't got to apologize to nobody. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I can say things that'll make that better for you. Or, or make that pain go away. Can I tell you a story? Of course. I remember when I was a young boy, I was about 14 or so. This was back when things started getting hairy in terms of conflict and war. My brother was was a pretty brave man, and there was a night before he went off to fight major conflict, or I'm not really sure which, I can't remember, but he sat down next to me. I was outside his tent, and he asked me what was wrong, and I, and I told him I was afraid. I was afraid that he was going to die and I was going to die. And I was afraid that I was going to lose him and I wouldn't know what to do. And he said, Marcus, fear profits man nothing. Don't be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. But courage isn't not having fear. It's overcoming it. And uh, I've been afraid many times. And, uh, I've done things that you've done and some things you haven't done. I guess I'm rambling, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, Kalina, you don't have to be afraid. Because at the center of it all, the feeling of fear you have, there's a feeling that's greater than that, and that's a being loved. And, Kalina, you are loved by us. We're family. And I think that next time you have those feelings, it won't, I can't stop it. I, I still wake up sometimes in my sleep. It's not an easy road. It's the road you're on. And as long as you got love, you'll make it through. Kalina, like, wipes her eyes and sorry about your brother. Yeah. He died the next day. And I was there when he died. Thank you. I will try to remember that. You're all I've got left. All of you. I'm the same. Sometimes people are put in your life for a reason. They are put in your life for a reason. I remember six years ago or so, I felt so alone. I didn't really care if I lived or died. But now I got all you, and that's the only thing I care about, is keep on living for my family. But uh, I'm sure you got better things to do than listen to a man talk about this kind of stupid stuff. So, nuts. It's nice. I thought I was the only one that kind of felt like that uh, six years ago when I was in the prison. If <laughs> I just kind of wanted to curl up and die. And Sylvie wouldn't let that happen. And then I met Maya. Then I met you. And then I met Alice. You guys gave me a reason to keep waking up every day. And I only have one skill. <laughs> I can, uh, I can, I can kill. I can fight. That's all I really have outside of you guys. I think that's that's the load, biggest load of bullshit I ever heard you speak. 
your value isn't what you kill who what skills what weapons you wield it's your heart it's your passion I've seen you play on those orphans that's what makes you valuable makes you feel better I have one skill and that's sneaking around and I haven't done much sneaking around for a long time so I, I think that <laughs> we're kind of we're kind of even there but you don't give yourself enough credit either well I did almost die we all did we almost did and you might keep us straight because I know I can't do it you can I believe in you well thank you Marcus thank you for giving me some time and sharing about your brother Thank you for sharing your struggles. I know that's not easy to talk about. I know how much you love talking about your feelings, though. So, you know, that was a joke. That was a joke. You see, Kalina kind of just roll her eyes and just chuckle. She's like, that's the worst thing I'm worth at talking about. One more thing before I let you go, if that's okay. Sure. What? What's up? In that house. I'm glad you didn't choose to listen to the voice. It was tempting. He promised a lot of things that I wanted. I know. After seeing what Aleki went through and knowing what he did to get his momentary happiness, I knew it was false. But I did think about it. I can't lie about that. Well, to be honest with you, I probably would have accepted if my uh, friend hadn't stopped it. So, which friend's that? I don't think I've, you've mentioned that one before. It's a, it's a long story. There's a woman. She's like sunbathing or something. She's covered in sea salt, and I cried. I never met her. I don't know. It's that house was a big old trip for me. But maybe when we're all together, I can kind of give a give kind of a an ember note on it. I'd like that. I agree. That house was a nightmare and I'm glad it's gone. Good night, Kalina. Oh, one more thing. Mm. Not trying to call you a liar, but I know the warden would want something more than anything we can give her. So if you need help with anything, let me know. I won't tell Maya, but I think Maya suspects as well. No, unfortunately, I, all I gave her was my pride. And that was enough for her. Well, if it changes, the offer's still there. I appreciate you. It's the least I can do. Marcus won't really know how to end the conversation, so he's going to reach out for a hand to shake hands. Kalina <laughs> will awkwardly also shake his hand, not sure what to do with the jester. <laughs> Both of us have no idea how to express emotions properly, so we just shake hands and walk back. With two antisocial characters... Talk about feelings. Battle of the introverts. And with that, you will all find your way to sleep. And over the next few days, it will be busy. So busy as you are attempting to ensure that you have everything together for the warden's tithe. And for what you need to leave. So busy that two days pass. Two whole days of waiting without any further knowledge on Sylvie. At least, no knowledge since Lashus had delivered Maya that cryptic message. You've each tried to go about your days, 
but any inquiry as to Sylvie has been stonewalled or met with threats of extreme violence. It is after dusk on the 13th of Altor that there is a pounding at your door. A pounding like that of a hammer driving a nail into it. Who will open the door? Oh, I don't think Maya will, but I do want to say that definitely Maya did all those things that she said she wanted to do. Getting, She's got every burn cell from every anybody that she could find that would sell such a thing. She's got a, a variety of burn cells and bandages and like she's so ready for when Sylvie comes home. Yeah, Kalina would, if no one else would, Kalina would definitely open the door and see who's there. As you open the door, a folded piece of paper has been nailed to it with Maya's name written upon it in scrawled writings. And lying not far from the door is a bloody and soot-streaked Sylvie, barely conscious. Sylvie, you have not had a drop of water since Luscious gave you that drink on the first day, nor have you eaten anything. Your wrists are raw, caked with blood and scabs. Though you have slept, it has not replenished you. You currently have three levels of exhaustion. You do have perfect clarity of the visions that you witnessed, but the rest is hazy. You can't be sure, really, of what you saw down there anymore. You think the warden visited you. Maybe once. Maybe twice. But there was pain. And heat. And darkness. And you're barely able to even open your eyes. Plato will scream, Sylvie! And try and, like, see how badly injured she looks. Hearing that, Maya is going to bolt out the door. Same as Marcus. Alice will follow the hell did why does she do this I've never seen her anyone this bad uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not good at this uh, Maya oh Sylvie Maya will lean over Sylvie kind of assess the damage and cast cure wounds give me a medicine check oh that is a 23 Sylvie is burned she looks exhausted her tongue is thick and dry her skin is cracking in places well a cure wounds will help with the raw wounds around her wrists she needs rest she needs food she needs liquid but most of all she needs to be cared for Okay, so Maya casts the cure wounds, knowing that it's definitely not going to fix everything. And then she's going to say, um, Marcus, Kalina, help me gently carry Sylvie inside to bed. And uh, Alice, we need some water. Right away. And he'll go to help Kalina pick up Sylvie. Yep, Kalina will oblige. Not saying much, but you can see she's definitely worried on her face. Do I have to go to a well? We have a well? I feel like we must have, like, a pitcher of water or something in the house to start with. I'm sure we're going to need more water before we're done, but we must have a little on hand. You have water on hand. Alice will get the water on hand. Alice, can you, uh, you make some of those berries you made, like, back in the place? 
Oh, yeah, sure, sure. You should make some of those for Sylvie. That'd be a good idea. You're good at magic and doing stuff like that. Alice will wave his wand and I will cast good bang. And Marcus, you are now holding ten berries. Once Sylvie is in the bedroom, Maya will kind of keep issuing instructions saying that we we need some water to wash Sylvie's wounds and then put the salve on and bandage them and and meanwhile we need somebody to gently drip a little water into her mouth occasionally. Yes, maybe if we can I don't know, does she look like she can chew? Could she could do we should we mash up the berries? Does Sylvia look like she could chew? She looks very tired, very weak. She hasn't said anything or opened her eyes yet, but she's still breathing. Might not really be able to chew. Maybe, maybe after a little water, she'll be better. And Maya, between giving various instructions and saying things to Sylvie like, It's okay, you're home now, you're safe. We're going to take good care of you. You'll feel better before you know it. There's nothing for you to worry about. You just have to rest. Uh, somewhere in between this whole madness, uh, when there's a moment pause, Kalina will mention that she saw something nailed to the door. Oh, uh, uh, would you go get it? Maya's probably like, her hands are covered in salve, and maybe, I don't know, Alice is handing her clean bandages. Yeah, I'll get it. I'm not much use most otherwise. And I'll go retrieve the paper and bring it in. I'm assuming, I'm assuming Kalina would at least recognize Maya's name, right? Yep. Uh, Maya, it's got your name on it. Uh, oh, um, and then she looks like she and Alice are fairly busy, and, and Marcus and Kalina are the ones that can't read. Uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll hold the letter, you can, or note, you can read it, and she'll open the letter and put it in front of Maya. Oh, thank you, Kalina. And over the next while... As you continue to care for Sylvie, coaxing some liquid into her. When there is a pause, you'll read it. And it says, Letter of Notice By random lottery, the penal colonist Maya Voletta is selected for mandatory attendance upon the vessel the Dauntless, bound for Atsakan to depart on the 16th of Altor in the year 1069 of our Grand Republic. By her power, Aulis Tolero Gracilis, Warden Governor of Merswall. Signed, Nycris, Captain of the Merswall Guard, for the glory of Talren. And with that letter... With Sylvie being cared for, we will end this session. Thank you for listening to Roll With Adventure, where we bring you this story from our imagination to your ears. If you liked what you heard... Please subscribe for future episodes, rate us where you get your podcast, and visit us at www.rollwithadventure.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can write us at dm at rollwithadventure.com. 
Our intro and outro music is Brave by Arcane Anthems. Thanks for the components of this episode's soundscapes. Go to zapsplat.com, Purple Planet Music, and Arcane Anthems. Full credits are in the episode description. Ooh! Ah, I don't really like Tootsie Rolls. Oh, that's a shame. I don't either. Oh, you people. They're one of the best chocolates in the world. Ooh. They're like... Not chocolate. (laughs) They're like a taffy that's like almost chocolate flavored. I like anything that almost tastes like chocolate, so my opinion is definitely biased. Uh, Like, Snickers are my favorite things. Mm. It is not the original recipe. They changed the flavor and texture of it. Huh. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Also, amazingly, they were, I guess, able to continue to produce it during the Second World War despite shortages in many key supplies. Maybe that's when they changed the recipe. Oh, you want to know all the other random... I mean, not that. Hi, it's not my turn. Never mind. (laughs) But because we're all here, I love Nutella, and I did not realize that it was made because some guy was like, I need to make my chocolate go farther. So he just added ground hazelnuts to it because he wanted the expensive chocolate to go further. And now we have Nutella, which is amazing. It's actually kind of scary when you think about it. Chocolate, like, only recently was, it's kind of like a cheap candy snack. For a long time, it was super expensive. Mm-hmm. So chocolate is still outlandishly expensive. All right, I guess I'll go since I'm yapping on. Hello, my name's Corey, and I play Kalina Floros, who is a human, but, yeah, human, uh, fuck. Let me start that over again. I was like, human barbarian. I'm like, why am I thinking she's a barbarian? She acts like one, but she's not one. Ah. <sighs>